Well, good morning. As we are continuing in Matthew, I'd ask that you turn to chapter 16, verse 5. Once you've found that, I ask that you would stand for the reverence of God's word. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 to 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing it is to gather here together and worship you and look into your word. And I pray that as we uh, look into your word now, uh, pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts. Uh, pray that you'd be shaping and molding us into the people of God that you have planned for us to be. I pray that we would be uh, teachable and uh, sensitive to your guiding in our lives. Give me the words to speak. I pray that you would, um, yeah, that you would be glorified through everything that is said, and and discussed this morning, and may it all be done to your honor and glory. I pray this in your name, Amen. Martin Lloyd Jones has a quote that says, "We have somehow got hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong." And we do not, do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. The person who doesn't have the right focus or the right goal. You know, there's many wrong ways, but there is only one truth, and there can only be one truth. And if you aren't emphasizing the right things, if you, if you don't have the right focus, it's like someone aiming for a target, whereas if their sight is a little bit off at the beginning, it's not long. By the time it's at the target, it's not even close. So it's very important to start from the right place, and that's one thing that we will be looking into today. And throughout our study in Matthew, we've had the goal of gaining an understanding of the broad picture of salvation. You know, not only within the book of Matthew, but how it connects to the view of the whole of Scripture, the Old and the New Testament. And although it's important to know the big picture, uh, it's also important, if we want to read our Bibles properly, to understand each individual story and the context that surrounds it as well. We both need to have the zoomed out vision and a zoomed in vision as well. And throughout the last couple months, we've seen growing tension and conflict between the Jewish leaders of the day, primarily the Pharisees, as they opposed Jesus and his disciples. And they, though they thought they were very religious and, and righteous, it was 
became more and more evident as we've gone through the gospel that it's very self-focused. And because of that, they were unable to realize that Jesus was the Messiah that their Old Testaments spoke of. And though Jesus warns them of their wrong ways, the Jewish leaders refuse to humble themselves time and again. And now it seems as though time is running out. And in the past few sermons, we've been able to see a change in the trajectory of Jesus' mission. And in today's passage, I trust that we will see that to a greater extent yet. Starting with a feeding of the 5,000, Jesus shows us how he provides and he cares for those who are his, particularly those of Israel. However, throughout chapter 15, we, we've begun to see a shift in the target of Jesus' mission. You know, at the beginning, there's a, a dispute between the, the Pharisees and Jesus, and we find this in the passage of traditions and commands. And that's it's in regards to cleanliness or, or the washing of hands. And the issue is that the Pharisees held their own man-made traditions above what was directly commanded in Scripture. Despite the explanation and the correction given by Jesus, though, they, they didn't understand yet and they didn't accept the truth. Now, continuing in the second half of chapter 15, now things are really starting to get turned on their head, beginning with the interaction with the Canaanite woman. It becomes clear that this new gospel message that Jesus is bringing, it's not, it's not just for those in the congregation of Israel, but it extends to those who would be considered low-ranking outsiders. Even the dogs get crumbs from the master's table, and so much more than crumbs yet. Because as if the Canaanite woman was a pinhole in the dam, blessings to the Gentiles are bursting through in the following two passages, with Jesus healing various diseases, and then in the f- and he also feeds the 4,000, which is in a Gentile region, and that is significant. You know, it's become without question that there's no limit to the goodness and provision that Christ supplies, both in the sense of physical needs, but even to a greater extent, spiritual needs. And this is significant because it's directed towards the Gentiles. You know, since his own people wouldn't receive him, now Jesus is going to the outsiders to expand his kingdom. And despite all the miracles done up until this point, and think of it, we've had two mass feedings, we've had countless healings, Jesus is confronted yet again by the Jewish leaders as they demand a sign from heaven at the beginning of chapter 16. But as we noted last week, now there's an important change in the company that comes to confront Jesus. It's not just the Pharisees anymore. No, now they've made an alliance with a group that they differed with greatly, and that being the Sadducees. So we've got conservative legalists coming together with the theological liberals of the day, an unlikely pairing, but they unite in their opposition and hatred towards Jesus, and they demanded a sign, and although the Pharisees and the Sadducees were able to discern the weather and read the weather patterns, Christ rebukes them for their inability to discern the signs of the times. You know, despite their lineage or ethnicity or their status or piety or good works, you know, that Christ makes it very clear that none of these things matter. They had no sight into the things that have true spiritual significance. Their hardness of heart prevented them from recognizing that they were looking to the very eyes of God incarnate, the Messiah that their scriptures prophesied and spoke of, yet they couldn't see. 
And then we come to the chilling words at the end of verse 4. So he left them and departed. And that's the result for those who, although they hear the words of the truth and the gospel, refuse to turn to Christ in humble submission. You know, they'll never see the truth because of their own blindness, pride, and, and hardness of heart. And with that, seeing where we've come from, it brings us to this week's passage, where we are discussing the aftermath of that interaction between the Pharisees and Sadducees and Jesus. In in verse 5, we get a setting of what is going on now. It says, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now, this is the first movement in in the passage that we'll be going through. Verse 5, it gives us the setting and the circumstance. So in regards to geographical setting, at the end of chapter 15, we're told the disciples were in the region of Magadan, where the confrontation with the religious leaders took place. And that was on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. So when we're told the disciples came to the other side, that would indicate the eastern or rather northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And this also can be taken to mean that they moved to a Gentile region again, which is consistent with the theme that we've observed over the last few passages. It also tells us that the disciples and Jesus were by themselves. And from what we're told, there were no crowds following them. It was a more intimate group, and that's something that we haven't seen in the narrative for a while. And as we'll see, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach and disciple his closest followers. It says they had forgotten to bring any bread. It gives us the situation, the the visible problem, and it presents, again, a resurfacing theme in recent chapters, that being the idea of bread. So here we have 12 or so hungry men. They have just come across the lake from an unfriendly encounter with the authorities, only to find that they had forgotten to bring the basic necessities. They had brought no bread. Now, it's not a happy time. As we noted in other passages, uh, a lack of food makes for quite dire circumstances rather quickly. And they just traveled quite a distance, and now they have nothing to refresh themselves with yet again. And while the disciples were clearly concerned about their situation, Jesus, on the other hand, rather than focusing on the physical problem, sees this moment of crisis as a way to teach them. And we see that in verse 6, the second movement here. It says, Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we've already seen through the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus frequently uses everyday things to teach significant truths. And he does it here again, warning the disciples to watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now Jesus takes a crisis and through that warns the disciples of the leaven of the religious leaders. Now before we dive into what this all means, we need to understand what leaven is. First of all, leaven is not to be understood as the same thing as yeast. You know, yeast is that dry, uh, inactive leavening agent that only becomes active when it's in contact with moisture. Maybe it's something we're more familiar in today's day. But leaven, it's important to understand what that is and the picture that it gives us. Leaven, on the other hand, it's a piece of the previous batch of dough that carries a live culture that ferments, and when added to a new recipe it causes the new batch of dough to adopt the culture and to be leavened. And that process of keeping an old piece of dough 
to leaven the new dough can be repeated over and over again so that the culture of that leaven develops and, and grows more mature. And if some of you have experienced with sourdough, you'd understand it very well, probably better than me. But this practice of using leaven has been popular for thousands of years, and uh, it is a very old way of making bread. In fact, you can buy bread starters that date back hundreds or even thousands of years. And clearly, the usage of leaven was a common practice for the disciples. So when Jesus warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're quick to come to a conclusion. We see that in verse 7. It says, They began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Now let's remember the disciples' situation. They've worked hard, traveling for miles after a long day of following Jesus, and there's by no means an easy day on the mission field. And now their stomachs are growling. And we know when we're hungry, the only thing that's on our mind is food. When it hits 4 o'clock on a work day, the only thing that's on my mind, what's for supper? So when Jesus warns of the leaven, naturally their mind goes to the thought of bread. And they said, Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, talking about bread. And, you know, we don't have any bread, so we'll have to buy some. So Jesus must mean, don't buy the bread of the religious leaders. A fair conclusion, maybe, in their minds. And some of the disciples growing up maybe were familiar with the food laws. So they must have thought, you know, Jesus is discipling us. These are new rules of what we are to eat. But the concern over little literal bread wasn't at all what Jesus was getting at, and we'll see that. And the disciples should have known this as well, because it was just a few days back, as we read in chapter 15, that Jesus had explained that food isn't what defiles a person, but rather what comes out of the heart. And they should have remembered that, yet in their moment of hunger, it was in that moment that the disciples were only focused on the physical and thought Jesus was speaking about not buying bread of the Pharisees. But they should have known that Jesus wasn't concerned with where they got their bread. No, he was speaking in spiritual terms. Yet the disciples were unable to understand what he meant by leaven. Now we've discussed the practical side of what leaven is, but the concept of leaven carries with it an important theme through scripture, and it's something that we should understand in order to get a full picture of what Jesus is saying and what we should understand from it. Now almost every time the word leaven is used in the Bible, it's used to describe something as corrupt or unholy. And it's mentioned quite a bit. We have numerous examples in Exodus with connection to Passover, and we have laws about leaven given in Leviticus, referencing some grain offerings. And Paul also uses it as an analogy in the New Testament passages as well. However, in all these examples, there's negative connotations that go with the idea of leaven. In fact, the only place where it's used in a positive sense is in Matthew 13.33, which you might have thought of. And that's a verse that we've studied where Jesus speaks of leaven in terms of how it resembles the advance of the kingdom of God in the world. However, every other time, including the context we're looking at today, it represents a corruption or an infiltration of something good. Back in Exodus, when the Israelites were commanded to leave the land of Egypt, you know, they were not to take any leaven with them. And you can see this in Exodus 12. 
It says, And they baked unleavened cakes of dough and they had brought, that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And afterward, you, after that passage in Exodus 13, you can also see Israel would have the Feast of Unleavened Bread instituted into their calendar, which would remind them of the day they left Egypt. And for the duration of that annual festival, the Israelites were commanded to clean out the leaven from their homes. And that was in order to remember the Lord's deliverance. The whole idea was to leave behind the ways of Egypt, to leave the Egyptian leaven, and to take hold of the new life which God was giving them and leading them to in the promised land. And this creates a very important parallel in our passage here in Matthew as well. You know, Jesus is doing a similar thing. He's shown the religious leaders and the people how he is bringing a new order of things through his ministry. And this has become increasingly clear in recent passages, you know, opening up to the Gentiles and his reference to the sign of Jonah. Those are all showing there's a new system coming. And he's calling the people to that new way of living, the new covenant which was about to be inaugurated. And if they had any knowledge of the scriptures, they should have remembered the words of Jeremiah 31, which says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Possibly the clearest Old Testament text showing us the way of the new covenant. And Jesus had warned the Pharisees and Sadducees directly that there is something greater than their old covenant ways, and it's almost here, but they were unable to see it because of their hard hearts. Now Christ was standing right in front of them, telling them to put away the leaven of their old ways, yet they didn't understand. You know, they knew the letter of the law, but completely missed the point of it. They missed who it was about. And now that ship is about to leave, and they're going to be left behind. So Jesus, wanting to point out to his disciples the danger of the teaching or or the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, put the ways and the teachings of those groups, the leaven that they have, put it behind you. The leaven of impressing men and the leaven of earthly recognition. You know, they weren't focused on the things of God, but on the things of men. And we see this, the Pharisees who loved praying on the streets so people would see them. And the the Sadducees, they desired to be well-liked. You know, they even compromised the truth of Scripture just to to fit in or gain those political positions of power. Yet it's all earthly focus. You know, they were doing nothing more than storing treasures on earth while neglecting their eternal position. The Pharisees and the Sadducees ultimately had the wrong focus. And rather than looking into the things of God, they were consumed with themselves and the attention of men. 
And this is the result of their teaching or, or doctrine, which the disciples weren't to take part in. But in this exact moment in our text that we've seen, Jesus catches the disciples thinking about earthly things first. You know, they missed what Jesus was telling them in his warning, and Jesus rebukes them for their initial interpretation. In verse 8, it says, But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? You know, Jesus wasn't concerned with where they'd buy their bread. And we talked about how the disciples should have known that. You know, they experienced the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They had experienced God's provision multiple times and witnessed the abundance of leftovers, the overflowing blessings, which Jesus references here. Yet they were concerned what they would eat this time. They weren't looking at or thinking what they ought to be as followers of Christ. Rather than their spiritual well-being, they were distracted with their concern of simple bread. How often do we do the same? We're far more concerned with the the material aspects of our lives, be it our our housing situation or our job security. Like the song we sang this morning, we seek for earthly treasures and forsake the king of kings. We think of all these things rather than being concerned with what Christ would have us be concerned about. God has provided for all of us far beyond what we deserve and and even what we need, yet we worry about our things and, and the next day instead of remembering and living in the confidence and security that Christ has already given us all we need and he will continue to provide. Now, I like the quote I found from one preacher. It says, We blame ourselves for a forgetfulness for which God does not blame us, while he blames us for a forgetfulness for which we blame not ourselves. And the disciples had done this, and we are just as guilty They had witnessed Jesus' ability to provide firsthand on not one, but two occasions. And they had seen countless miracles, yet they could not understand what Jesus was telling them. And Jesus rebukes them. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Don't you know who I am? You followed me all this time. You should know. Unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees who deny me, you have been given eyes to see. Know better. And we'll see this play out to a greater extent, you know, this passage forms an interesting link of the passage we saw last week with the religious leaders denying the identity of Christ, and we'll see next week where the disciples and Peter confess the Christ. You know, this passage shows development and growth of the disciples and their own doctrine. But now Jesus challenges challenges them as they don't understand the warning. Jesus says, how is it that you fail to understand, I do not speak about bread. Jesus then repeats verbatim what he had initially told them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now notice he doesn't give them the answer, but he, he makes them think, leading them to what should be learned from it. And this is Jesus d- discipling or, or growing the disciples in their understanding 
of spiritual things. It shows maturity in the disciples and being able to understand what Christ is teaching. And for anyone who's been a teacher before, you'd understand this, that there's a a time to lead the student right up to the answer to show them how to figure it out, but there's a time to step back and let them figure it out for themselves. You can recall some of the parables in the past that the disciples didn't understand, and Jesus would take them and explain directly what he meant, and we've seen this in the parable of the sower or parable of the weeds. But now we see a change. We see the Holy Spirit's work in giving them understanding into the teachings of spiritual things. Moving on to verse 12, where the disciples realized Jesus' meaning. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. No, not the leaven of bread, but the teaching, the, the doctrine of the religious leaders. Jesus was telling them to beware of false doctrine. Yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, they were opposites in almost every way possible. You know, politically, theologically, in lifestyle. And we, we've already discussed that. But the, the Sadducees, being on what we'd call the far left, or the liberals of the day, you know, they didn't believe in a resurrection, a heaven or a hell. And they, they were very materialistic. You know, they took away from Scripture. You know, they only believed that the first five books actually were truly from God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they were the conservatives of the group. They believed in the resurrection and and the whole of Scripture, but yet gave more credit to their man-made traditions than to Scripture. You know, they added their own ideas. So considering these differences, it's interesting to see how Jesus identifies them. He, He refers to them as a singular article. He refers to the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but one. And although they were polar opposites in society, to Jesus, they were the same. They were headed in the same direction, which would be their denial of Christ in the end. And the relevancy of this passage to our present situation present situation is is very clear. You know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they weren't just groups of people in the first century. You know, they're alive and well today, and we need to beware as well. With the high political temperature of our day, I think some Christians have been sucked into the dangerous place of holding their political ideals or, or personal opinions above what Scripture says. You know, they cherry picked verses that seem to suit their views and then go off of that. And when churches or believers move away from the word of God as their primary focus, they are in a dangerous, dangerous place. And there are only two directions to go, and we need to be aware to not drift into either ditch. The first is to start making up man-made rules and, and add to the Bible and what it says. You know, to take a more pharisaical approach. You know, they don't see the Bible as sufficient to stand on their own, but, but they like the benefits and the morals that go with it, so they want to protect and conserve their own truth and their own values or, or morals. But since they don't have the full confidence of the scriptures, it requires them to find their authority elsewhere. And it becomes a slippery slope of becoming reliant on oneself and, and the works that one can do. And in the end, it, it becomes a religion of legalism or, or conservatism. And we see this in our own society 
You have those who, who won't commit fully and follow Christ, but they like the benefits. So it becomes this religious or conservative moralism, and it may look good and, and pious on the outside, but it's not a product of truth. It's not driven by a love for Scripture. Rather, it's, it's often driven by a hatred of what's wrong or, or the other side of the political spectrum instead of rooting from a love from what's true, honorable, and just. And 1 John 4.20 reads, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know, John says that if we have no love for those who are made in the image of God, no, we don't, we don't love God. We don't understand the truth. And this doesn't mean that we accept everyone at any cost, but realize that even the outsiders have inherent value being created in the image of God. And who says it's impossible for the Spirit to draw them to the gospel? And we, we've seen that in the story of the Canaanite woman, an outsider, an outcast in terms of the, the society of Israel, yet Jesus welcomes them in as well. Now the second direction if someone is moving away from the truth of God's word, is to start taking away from the Bible. You know, they'll question its inerrancy or the reliability of it. You know, rather than wanting to add, they'll discredit the Bible or, or say it's either been changed throughout the years or, or maybe it's more cultural than anything. So, you know, we don't need to follow what it says. And we commonly refer to this in our society as progressivism or, or liberalism. And maybe this is more common in our greater North American church of what we've seen. You know, people are more likely to fold to the big ideas of culture instead of upholding the truth of the Bible. And they sacrifice the clear directions and warnings in Scripture for the sake of so-called love and, and peace. Yet, taking both of these, whether it's more of a adding to the Bible or subtracting, both of these paths end up in the same place. And that is in losing their focus of the truth. And they replace it with their own opinions or, or ideas. You know, they get preoccupied that the Bible is about them and, and what they can do, rather than recognizing it's a story that speaks of God's sovereign plan in the redemption of humanity for his glory. And for those who stay on their wrong paths long enough, it's inevitable that eventually they will deny the one who came to be the savior of the world. And that's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees had ended up. You know, they had lost the sight of the reason for their religion, and they got caught up in their own ideas. And bringing this to our own application, that's why when we talk about redemptive historical preaching, like Pastor Matt referenced last week, you know, it's so important. We need to understand the whole and the parts of Scripture in order to see accurately what God is doing for his glory and for our salvation. You know, it helps us keep the right focus. And it's in Scripture that we need to find and to ground our doctrine. For if we base our doctrine on anything else, then we've immediately gone wrong, and we'd be at the wrong starting point. Just like our analogy at the beginning, where if your sight is off even a bit down the road, you'll be f very much further off. And Jesus likens the leaven of bread with teaching or doctrine. And we need to be very careful where we get our teaching and our, our doctrine from. 
You know, each one of us is a lump of dough that Jesus is making into his own. So whenever we sit under teaching or or exposed to leaven, and we need to be able to discern through the word by the Spirit what is good leaven and what will corrupt. The church father, Jerome, writes, Leaven has this power that, if mixed with flour, that which seems small would grow into something larger and draw to its own essence the whole loaf. So too with heretical doctrine, if it tosses even a tiny spark into your heart, in a short time a huge flame grows beneath and draws to itself and and person's entire substance. You know, as this quote says, we need to be aware of the subtle nature of leaven. You know, when you add it to a loaf, you don't recognize it right away. It appears to stay the same. But after time, the loaf grows and we see the effect of the, ele- of the leaven. And it's the same with teaching. If we fill our minds with our own opinions and thoughts, you know, it may seem harmless at the start. But over time, if we dwell on those things, those ideas will work themselves out and they can lead us astray. And because of that, we need to be constantly testing what is truth by the word of God. And we should take the example the Bereans give us in Acts 17, where it says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know, scripture is sufficient. We can trust scripture, and that should be our final authority. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So some of the points we can take from this passage is first, that we can learn from the disciples' wrong focus. You know, they misunderstood Jesus because they were purely focused on their own immediate situation rather than the bigger or more important situation of their spiritual state. And with that, we can learn that we need to be concerned about what God is concerned about. As Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Unlike the disciples who were focused on the current circumstance of, of having no bread, we should learn and be growing in our knowledge of God and his word, cultivating that godly mindset and pursuing a life of godliness. The second, as Jesus warned the disciples, We need to be aware of false teaching, for like leaven it will slowly infiltrate and corrupt. And Paul wrote in Galatians 5, and in verse 7, it says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, if false teaching creeps in, in the beginning, as we said, it's unnoticed. You know, it may seem smaller or dismissible. But its effect in the end is detrimental if it's not dealt with early on. So we should watch and beware, as Jesus says. You know, Satan's schemes aren't always the the blatant lies, but rather the more dangerous ones, like the quote we read in the beginning, are the ones that look like truth, you know, the ones that just don't have the right focus. And that's why we need to be in the Word and meditate on Scripture. So when we're confronted with the ideas that, that may look tempting... We're able to discern by the Spirit what's true and what's wrong. And lastly, we need to recognize God's work in making 
us into a new creation. You'll put behind us the old ways of life, that old leaven, and continue in our journey of sanctification. You know, as the Israelites were called to leave behind the leaven of Egypt, we all need to put behind us the leaven of when we were slaves to sin and the leaven of any wrong ideas that we may have. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 7 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So for those who haven't committed their lives to Christ, know that the work of salvation is done in him. He accepts all those who come to him in humble repentance. And for those who are in Christ, as Ephesians 3 says, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, pursue truth. The word is truth. Now, understanding the warning of the leaven is an important guideline for us as Christians to follow if we want to stay within the bounds of truth. And as we follow Christ, we should keep our focus solely on him and resist the pulls of the world and the flesh. You know, the attraction of conservatism or, or complacency will only lead to destruction of the destruction of one's faith as they cause us to eventually rely on our own power. And that is bound to fail. So don't ever let your guard down, but test all things by the Spirit and live by God's word as the final authority. And by keeping our eyes on Christ, we can be, new, be renewed by the Spirit and walk in the light of truth. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it leads us in all truth. We thank you for how it's sufficient and, and inerrant. And we, we know our hearts are deceitful, so we pray for your spirit and to help in our lives, that we would be able to discern. I pray that we would meditate, meditate constantly on your words and that you would give us understanding. I pray that... Yeah, that as we go through our lives, I pray that we would hunger for your word more and more so that we would share it with others and that we would have the boldness to do that. And as we are in the world, I pray that we would, by your spirit, guard the good deposit entrusted to us, as as 2 Timothy says, and I pray that we would be faithful to that. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. stand.
and the charge. Christ's warning of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees gives us a clear picture of the dangers of false teaching. Like leaven that permeates and transforms a loaf, so too false doctrine can infiltrate and destroy the faith of those who lose focus on Christ and his word. The religious leaders in Jesus' day had done just that, allowing their own, flesh, their own ideas and fleshly desires to blind them to the true meaning of the scriptures. There was good news coming, yet their hard hearts blinded their eyes to it. In contrast to the Pharisees and Sadducees, who fo- whose focus was selfish recognition and the applause of men, followers of Jesus are t- to guard against the ditches of both liberalism and legalism. The charge is this. To be focused on the truth by regular and faithful study in the word. Recognize that it tells a story about God and his work for our salvation and his glory. And beware of those who twist the truth to their own destruction. For their leaven will creep in only to corrupt and destroy. Finally, realize that God is making those who are his into a new loaf. Therefore, put the old ways of sin behind you as you are sanctified by the Spirit and take hold of the new life Christ offers. And the benediction from 2 Peter 3, 17-18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the, le- with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.